Scripture passage this morning is John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,677. 1,677. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Here now the reading of God's holy word. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bless the preaching of your word this morning. Give it power and unction. Help it to penetrate to heart and to mind. And help it to reveal to us the glory, the majesty, the grace, and the love that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with the movie The Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast is a very familiar story about A woman who's trapped in this mansion with this beastly character. You discover that he's got this curse put upon him for his horrible attitude, his mistreatment of people. And uh, if he doesn't find love, he will be stuck like this forever. And Belle comes into the picture and, and she begins to fall in love with him. And G.K. Chesterton... Uh, a a well-known philosopher, said that this is the great lesson of beauty and the beast. The great lesson of beauty and the beast is that a thing must be loved before it is lovable. A thing must be loved before it is lovable. And that great lesson of beauty and the beast is also the lesson of our scripture passage this morning. It's what Christ is proclaiming and saying to his disciples. That Christ gives true and transforming love and joy. That true and transforming love and joy come to us, his disciples, through Christ. He gives it to us first. And the reason why we love and the reason why we have joy is because he first loved. He first had joy. 
So Christ gives us true and transforming love and joy. And we're going to look at this passage in two parts. The first is love and joy in verses 9 and 9 through 12. And then the second is friendship and fruit in verses 13 through 17. What we need to understand about our passage this morning is that it's an elucidation. It's a, a, a further illustrating what Christ was speaking of when he talked about the vine and the branches. Christ used this analogy, the vine and the branches. Christ is divine. Life comes through him. Everything that we have comes through him. We are the branches. And if we remain in him, if we remain in Christ, then we will bear fruit. God is the one who comes and gardens and and prunes the branches that bear fruit so that we will bear even more fruit. And so Christ continues on in his discussion with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion about what exactly this means. That he's the vine, we're the branches, that we are united to him by faith. And if we are united to him by faith, then we have his life in us, his power in us. And he continues on with that. Let's look at first this mention of love in verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in his love. Now on the surface, if someone were to simply come to John chapter 15 and look at this passage where Jesus is saying, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I have obeyed my, uh, my Father's commands and remain in his love. He could be expressing sort of this reciprocal, quid pro quo, so to speak, of if you remain in my love, then I will give you my love. If you do this, then I'll do this, right? But actually what's being discussed here, that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, is that the model for our union with Christ the closest one that he could come to to help us understand and to grasp what it means to be united to him, what it means to have his love in us, is the union that Christ has with the Father. The union that Christ has with the Father. So he says here in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now this is what I want us to grasp. This is what I want us to understand. This is what I want to communicate to you. When Christ says to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What he's saying is, I've loved you perfectly. I've loved you perfectly. Not only is he saying, I've loved you perfectly, but he's saying, I've loved you eternally. Has the Father always loved the Son? Is the Father's love for the Son a perfect love? Well, First John tells us, God is love. It's not that God simply expresses love, but God is the essence of love. His being is love. And Jesus is telling his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion with the cross before him in his mind. And he's telling us here today that my love for you 
is a perfect love, an eternal love. Now remain in my love, he says. And how is this love expressed? How do we express love to one another? We often talk about how love is simply a feeling, right? Love is a warm feeling of butterflies in the stomach. Love is, is this bubbly feeling. It's, it's, love is um, chemicals being released in the brain that make you feel all sorts of things. And all those realities are, 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 are probably an element of love, but they aren't the entirety of love. Love is more than simply a feeling or an emotion or an expression. Love is tangible. And the way that we show love to others is not simply in our words, but also in our actions, right? Also in our actions. In order to help you understand this or grasp this or or express this to you, this is how I would describe it. What if all we had in the Bible was that God said, I love you? But we didn't have the tangible expression of that love, which is the coming and the living and the dying and the raising of the dead in Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. God says he loves us, but God shows us he loves us, does he not? Has he not? And therefore, here in verse 10, Jesus says that that is what is asked of us as well. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Christ here is saying, show your love in your actions. And I'm not simply telling you this because I think you must drudge up from within yourself your own ability to express to God your love and action. I'm saying that when we are united to Christ, when the love that God has for the Son is given to us in Jesus Christ, that he has loved us in that way, we cannot help but want to obey his commands. That's why First John will say, it's not burdensome to obey Christ's commands, because we want to. We desire to, as an expression of our gratitude. But there's also something else here that Jesus is speaking of that we need to grasp, that we need to understand, that we need to here this morning. When Jesus says, remain in my love, when he says, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, he is also saying that there is an experience of knowing and feeling the love of Christ. There is an experience of knowing and feeling the love of Christ that can wane if we live outside of his commands. The canons of Dort speak of this. The feeling of being far from the Lord. Feeling of absence of his presence, of his favor. 
feeling as if the Lord is frowning upon us. And Christ here is saying that there's a principle here. The principle is that if you obey my commands, if you seek to live inside of my will, if you seek to live according to my will in gratitude, that you will feel the presence of my love more. It's not that God takes his presence from us. He's omnipresent. It's not that Christ takes his love from us, but that we ourselves begin to lose the sense of it because of our sin. And that's why the discipline of God is so precious. That's why the sense that God is crushing us, as Psalm, the psalmist says, pushing down on us is an expression of his love because he's saying, I want you to feel my presence. I want you to feel the love that I have. So that is the love that Christ is expressing here. The love that I say in the theme statement this morning is a true and transforming love. It is the truest love, and it's a love that is transforming us. It's a love that is working into us a changed heart, a changed mind, changed way of living. What about the joy? Verse 11 says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Christ here is saying that I tell you this not to condemn you. I tell you this not to put a heavy burden upon you. I tell you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. To know That the love the Father has for me is the same love I have for you. To know that your experience of this love, your sense of this love, is dependent upon obeying my commands. And that the love, or that the obedience that I have expressed to the Father is the model of your obedience. Which is striving to be perfectly obedient. Although we know we cannot have it. In this life, the goal is still the same. Christ's desire in telling his disciples these things is so that they can have his joy and that their joy would be complete. What Christ is talking about here is joyful obedience. He's saying true joy does not come in doing whatever you want, does not come in eating as much candy as you want and sweets as you want. Without limit. It does not come in gorging yourself on whatever it is that you want to do. In accordance with your sinful nature. But actually true joy comes in obedience to God. And Christ on the eve of his crucifixion is saying this. He's saying this as he's saying my perfect obedience to to my father means I'm going to go and be crucified. Be killed as an innocent man. And the book of Hebrews tells us this. With the joy set before him, he went to the cross. Joyful obedience. Obedience. 
Christ is saying, true joy, my joy is found in joyful obedience. The Old Testament speaks about this God and speaking to Israel, particularly in the prophets, says of all the pomp and circumstance of Old Testament worship, all the garments and all the sacrifices and all the beautiful temple arrayments, all that, all that expression of worship, God hated it. Because the Israelites were dragging their feet. Outwardly they were doing all the right things, but inwardly their hearts were far from God. So you could say, yeah, they're obeying God, right? They're doing the sacrifices, they're doing the temple worship, they're doing all the things that God has asked of them. But inwardly they're saying, oh, this is such a drudgery, oh, this is so horrible, this is the worst possible thing. Maybe a more easier experience to relate this to would be my own. Of course, we have our children do chores at home. It teaches them responsibility. It teaches them um, good character. And particularly for our sons, we're trying to prepare them for the wives that they may have someday in the future. who will be very thankful that they know how to do laundry and dishes and things like that, Right? But an entire day can be changed on the attitude of your children's willingness to do the chores or unwillingness to do the chores. Joyful obedience is what Christ is calling us to here. He's saying that's true joy. And he's saying it because he himself experienced true joy in this perfect obedience to the Father. And his command is that we would love each other as he has loved us. This is something he's already said to the disciples. He's saying, this is the new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. In John chapter 13. And he repeats this refrain here. He assumes our love for the Father, our love for Him. What He calls us to is love of one another. That's the command that we will follow if we are to have true and lasting and transforming love and joy. So joyful obedience, the joy that Christ gives us, it's a transforming joy, is it not? It's a transforming, it's a joy that says, Although right now and in sometimes we don't feel like being obedient, God, give us a heart of obedience. Give us a heart of gratitude that we may desire to serve you more faithfully. And if that is what we ask for, God will give it to us. Let's look at this second point, friendship and fruit. Verse 13 through 15 describes this concept of friendship. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Uh, Here in this context, we have to remember that Jesus is speaking to his closest friends, his disciples, and he's telling them, he's telling them the reason why he's going to all the trouble to give this farewell discourse, all these details about what God has called him to do, what he's going to accomplish, about how to live faithfully, how to live united to him, remaining in him. And he says it's on the principle of friendship. If you think of the Old Testament, Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses was called a friend of God. But interestingly, you will never find in the Bible that Moses called God a friend. Or Abraham called God a friend. And that sort of reciprocal kind of relationship... That doesn't occur in the scriptures because the concept of friendship here is that God is the greatest who does not need a friend, who does not desire a friend, who is sufficient in himself, has, in the greatest expression of love, called us friends. Called us friends. His friends. And Jesus here says the same thing of the disciples. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Some have said, greater love isn't laying your life down for your enemies. Greater love than laying your life down for your friends. Well, Jesus in other contexts has said to his disciples that you are to love your enemies. And Paul has said that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. But here in the context of his friends, Jesus is saying that this is why I go to lay my life down for you because you are my friends. Here in verse 14, once again, it almost sounds like this causal relationship, right? You are my friends if you do what I command. But we have to remember our ability to do what Christ has commanded, comes from Christ himself. It comes from being in the vine, right? United with him by faith. It's not on our own strength. It's not on our own basis. Christ is saying we're his friends because we will do what he's commanded. Because he will enable us to do what he's commanded us. Because he's given us true and transforming love and joy we will live in obedience to him, following his commands. Verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Christ here uses the analogy of um, a home in that time. In a home in that time, there was friends. And then there were slaves. It's the same word he uses here for servant. And the distinction, you could say, between a friend and a slave is a friend would be invited in and, and, and 
would discuss over the table details of running this house, running this home, running this family. Oh, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that, you know. But a slave simply is just told what to do. Go do this, go do that, go do this. A slave doesn't know the details of the home, of the business, or anything like that. A slave is simply told, do this. Accomplish this task. Get this done. Christ says, you are friends. You are friends because I have let you into the inner table, the inner council. I have told you everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And the same is true of us this morning. Christ has said, we are his friends because he has given us the revelation of God and himself. Because he's given us true and transforming love and joy. The love and joy that he and the Father has. He has revealed to us what it is that he and the Father plan to do before time. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Just as there's a priority of friendship, right? I mentioned to you that nowhere in the Bible will you hear Moses say, God's my friend, but you will hear God say, Moses is my friend. Nowhere in the Bible will you you see Abraham say, God's my friend. You will hear God say, Abraham is my friend. And here in this scripture passage, we're told that The disciples aren't saying that Jesus is my friend. Jesus is saying, you are my friends. And the priority is the same in the choosing. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And the choosing here of the disciples, of course, is a unique moment in history. It's one that is describing the disciples that Jesus chose, his inner group, his inner council, the 12 disciples. But it can be extended and, and placed upon our choosing as well. Knowing and understanding that we, if we have come to experience the true and transforming love and joy of Jesus Christ by faith, by union with him, it is not because we chose him, but because he chose us. We love because he first loved us. We have joy because he first had joy. We have life because he first had life. Remember what I said about Beauty and the Beast. That the primary lesson of Beauty and the Beast is that a thing must be loved before it is lovable. And that's what Christ has done for us in choosing us. He chose us not because we were lovable. He chose us not because there was anything in us that was worthy of choosing. He chose us. He loved us. And in loving us, we became lovable. All of us beasts. But the act of God's choosing, the act of God's love 
has brought love and joy into us because Christ has come to us. And Christ's perfect love and perfect joy is now our perfect love and perfect joy. And that perfect love and perfect joy is a transforming love and joy that's transforming us into the image of Christ, sanctifying us, causing us to be more and more holy because we are growing into the image of Jesus Christ. And when we do this, we bear fruit. This ties us in again to the passage that I said earlier, the vine and the branches, that we are called to bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will remain, eternal fruit. And when we do this, when we grow and conform into the image of Jesus Christ, when we desire what he desires, when our obedience is in conformity to God, Christ's perfect obedience with the Father, when we ask the Father whatever we want in Jesus' name, he'll give it to us. Not because we're asking for whatever our sinful nature wants, not because we're asking whatever we want in accordance with the flesh, but because we're asking whatever we want in accordance with the Spirit that has poured out the perfect love and joy of Jesus Christ into us. When the perfect and transforming love and joy of Jesus Christ enters into us by our union with Him, remember, He's divine, we are the branches. The command that Christ gives us to love each other is expressed. And we begin to express to one another the same love that God the Father has for God the Son. A perfect and eternal love. We begin to taste what is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Our communion with Christ is of the same kind as the communion that the Father has with the Son. And because of that, Christ gives us true and transforming love and joy. I close with this. Do you have that true and transforming love and joy? Can you say that Christ calls you friend? Do you know the love of Christ and the joy of Christ? It's an important question to ask because hovering over this passage is the same warning that was given earlier in discussing the vine and the branches. And verse 2 says, A father, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And verse 6, If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. The question is, Outwardly, we can look as if 
We are experiencing the transforming love and joy of Jesus Christ because we're doing all the right things and we're saying all the right things. But the truth is if we don't have an organic union and connection with the vine, we are not getting the life of the vine. We are not getting the sap of the vine. We are not getting the power of the Holy Spirit to cause us to live in perfect and grateful, joyful obedience to Jesus Christ as we grow in our justification and our sanctification. So my call to you is believe on Jesus Christ. Believe on him, see him as your salvation, your savior, as the forgiveness of your sins. Cling to him, trust in him and his perfect and final and lasting work. And then and only then, by God's grace, will you experience the true and transforming love and joy that Jesus gives those who he calls a friend. Amen. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the love that you have shown us, poured out on us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the perfect joyful obedience of Jesus that we now share with him. Thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ you now call us friends. May we bear much fruit to your glory. May we, by your power and grace, live in accordance with your command that we love each other as Christ has loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.